Blog Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hill, President of the League of the South. I and my compatriots are Southern Nationalists. We seek the survival, well-being, and independence of the Southern people, our people. The League wants a South that enjoys the sweet fruits of Christian liberty and prosperity, but our current situation won't allow it. We must have our independence from Washington, D.C. and the globalists. The present system cannot be reformed. Without independence, we will continue down this path of destruction. To us, this is not acceptable. I'm asking you, Southern man and woman, to join us today to free the South. Call us at 256-757-6789 or see our website at www.leagueofthesouth.com. God save the South. Nowadays, there's a lot of talk about hate crimes. There's an entire body of laws against hate crimes. Everybody seems to be worried about hate. Hate appears to be the gravest problem of our time. But hate is good. Hate gives a structure to our life. Hate gives us a reason to exist, a focus, something to strive for, an identity. Hate is energy, pure energy, provided by Mother Nature herself. Hate enables us to see through lies and pretense, and helps us to concentrate on the essential. Hate is democratic. Even the rich and the powerful cannot hate more than their slaves and subjects. And soon, hate may well be all that we have left. Hate emancipates. Without hate for slavery, you cannot break your shackles. And without hate for injustice, there can be no justice. The greatest achievements of the human race have grown from hate and from the ability to control hate. Hate separates humans from animals. Animals do not hate, but humans do. Humans can hate for decades, sometimes their entire life. We can even pass hate on to our children and keep hate alive for centuries. Hate is a sign of abstract intellect, for only humans can hate people they have never seen or met, and only humans can hate concepts and processes. How can we know what love is if we refuse to recognize and understand hate? Love and hate are the two opposite sides of the same coin. Without hate, we are only halflings. In order to be complete, we need hate. Only fools talk endlessly about love, but forget the hate. Hate separates us from the meek and docile masses. Do not fear hate. Do not deny or reject hate. Accept hate. Embrace hate. Learn to know it and learn to use it. Hate is your most powerful weapon, a hidden source of your strength. Do not deny it from you. What the liberal elite fears most in this world is our ability to hate, because our hate will one day be the most revolutionary force on the planet. Our hate will destroy and create empires. listening to Resolution Radio. 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 
Men. Coming for us all. Unstoppable force of men forged into iron with the fires and machinery of war. Driven before them are those who betray everything beyond a greed, hate, and anger. Do you betray everything and decide to free your hide? Or will you take your best to stand for the fight? Fight for your life, for what is dearest to you, for honor and death. Let your name be worthy of you. But remember, the war consumes us all. We're going to go ahead and begin at the beginning here. We're not saying anyone should be forced to be pro-white. All we're saying is that whether anyone likes it or not, white people have the right to be pro-white. White people have the right to a sense of racial consciousness, racial identity, and racial pride. We have the right to date, to marry white, and to raise our white children to be pro-white. We have the right to love our own people, and to raise our children to love themselves and their people. And above all else, white people have the right to unify, organize, and fight back against the rising tidal wave of anti-white hatred. Don't like it? Too fucking bad. That's your problem, not ours. The anti-white powers that be want you to believe that you don't have a right to be victorious. They want pro-whites to be defeated, broken, and conquered. But we have no intention of surrendering to their intimidation. Pro-white means supporting whites' rights to a collective sense of racial consciousness, identity, and pride. It means supporting whites' rights to pursue self-determination in our collective racial destiny. Whether anyone likes it or not, the white race has a right to be pro-white. White people don't lack in numbers. What we lack is unity. If we can figure out how to unify, organize, and fight back, show's over. We win. Historically speaking, when white people finally say enough is enough, the entire world trembles beneath our collective footsteps. But a kingdom that has once been destroyed can never come again into being, nor can the dead ever be brought back to life. Come and take it!
right, welcome to the Resolution Radio Network at ResolutionRDO.com. You are listening to the St. Thomas Show, and I am your host, Sonny Thomas. If you want to call in to listen now, it's area code 607-203-5423. That's area code 607-203-5423. You can follow us on various social media for Sonny Thomas Show as well as Resolution RDO. You can follow Sonny Thomas Show on Winkin which is an alternative to fascist book. You can also follow us on Getter, Gab, Telegram, and Twitter. On Twitter, it's Resolution RDO and the number one. So that's been the thing. We were both on Parlor. Apparently, it's been bought by Starboard, and apparently they don't think conservative voices matter. So they don't think it's a good enough uh, fit. As a matter of fact, uh, it says right here, Starboard, formerly Olympic Media, announced today that it has concluded an acquisition of Parler, the world's pioneering uncancelable free speech platform. No reasonable person believes that a Twitter clone just for conservatives is a viable business anymore. <laughs> Focusing on the infrastructure space, George Farmer has done an exceptional job at successfully leading Parliament into a critically important industry where it has already begun to excel. Starboard is perfect home for the Parler brand and its longtime loyal users. Parler's large user base and additional strategic assets represent an enormous opportunity for Starboard to continue to build aggressively in our media publishing business. Parler has built an exceptional audience. We look forward to integrating the audience across the existing platforms. While the Parler app is currently constituted, it will be pulled down from operation to undergo a strategic assessment. We at Starboard see tremendous opportunities across multiple sectors to continue to serve marginalized or even outright centered communities, even extending beyond domestic politics. But yet you're saying right here that no reasonable person believes that a Twitter clone just for conservatives is a viable business anymore. So in other words, that's that's double speak. So um, I would consider Parler pretty much compromised. So those are your options, ladies and gentlemen. But otherwise, we're on Getter, Gab, Twitter, Telegram, and on Wimkin. I have not really had a chance to see if Wimkin does pages yet. Um, if so, I will be setting up a page for Resolution RDO as well as St. Thomas Show. I miss using VK, actually. I really thought it was a much better platform. I thought I had some nicer features that Facebook didn't have. And unfortunately, um, they purged a lot of the right-wingers. So they're just as bad as Twitter. So screw them. That's uh, pretty much the gist of that. Okay, so uh, opening song tonight was same as last week. Come and take it by the Nuge for two reasons. One is it's it it um, it's a great a great new track off his most recent album, Detroit Muscle, as well as uh, the Nugent is going to do his last tour, his Adios Mofos 2023 or yeah 23 tour is already starting to kick off and he just uh last week announced uh, a show at the rose so i definitely got my ticket to see the motor city madman one final time which is sad because i really enjoy um seeing him the last few years uh i had seen him first of all, i think in 1994 hair arena then i saw him in 2000 opening up for kiss on the quote-unquote farewell tour and I don't remember if I saw Nugent after that, but I did see him in 2018, and then I saw him in uh, 2022. So, yeah, 
good stuff. So I will definitely be getting a ticket uh, for Ted's final tour. But again, I encourage people to go see these rock artists because a lot of these are on their last legs. And um, this is their last hurrah. So anytime these guys are still able to tour completely, enjoy it, such as Fleetwood Mac, because Christine McVie had uh, passed away near Thanksgiving last year. And, um, you know, she's gone. So pretty much Fleetwood Mac had pretty much admitted that they're done. Even though they've toured without her before, uh, back in 2003, I think. Maybe 2008. I forget when they did this Say You Will album. She wasn't included on that record. But, uh, you know, again, when, moments, when someone bows out as opposed to someone dying while they're still with them, it's a little bit different, you know. However, Leonard Skinner is definitely still going, even though Gary Rossington died. And I don't understand the point. I, they say they want to do it to, to keep the music going as long as possible. I get it to a point. But the thing that sucks is Skinner only plays their classic shit, the stuff from the original lineup, which sucks because especially the last – since 1997, I thought Skinner's albums were really rock solid. I thought they were very competitive to any other rock album that was out there at the time. Obviously, WTUE here would never play anything new from Skinner, that's for sure. Um, and none of the newer rock stations ever play an older old band shit either, you know, like that. So uh, it's really disingenuous. These guys still take the time to put out records, and once they get to a certain peak or era, um, nobody wants to play their stuff anymore, any, any of the new stuff, which sucks because a lot of times I see many bands, their newer stuff is better than their, their classic shit. Uh, for prime example, I think I think Winger's Karma album from 2009 is probably their best record. Um, Better Days Coming from 2014 was pretty rock solid. If Karma was a 10, I would say Better Days Coming was probably an 8 for the most part. Now, if you take the best songs from those two records and put them together, you got a perfect Winger album. Now, the new Winger album, Seven's getting ready to come out. Um, so far, they've had two... Uh, they've had two singles come out so far, uh, Proud Desperado, and um, what is the name of that new ballad? There's a new ballad they just put out as well. Actually, it um, it grows on you the more you listen to it. Um, it all comes back around, yes. It's got a nice breakdown, similar to uh, Witness off of Karma, which I think Witness is a little bit better because it's a little heavier. But... Uh, I have to say, I wasn't that impressed with Proud Desperado. Uh, when all comes around, um, grows on you a little bit. Takes a few listens. Video isn't bad. Uh, but it's not like right out of the gate, better days coming, because you had Rat Race, as well as, um, um, you know, the couple of opening songs and stuff. It's just rock solid. And, of course, you got a lot of good ballads and stuff in there. But, again, I like Winger because they, they can still rock out, but they can also be melodic and show some really great musicianship. I think that's another reason why people have uh, stuck around and um, listened to the stuff. But anyway, uh, but more power to them. You know, uh, I wish Skinner would play a lot of the new stuff, at least on songs off their last album, God and Guns, which came out in 2012. Uh, the title track, which I believe is a Hank Williams Jr. Uh, cover, as well as uh, Unbroken. I mean, there's, again, there's a lot of good songs on that record that can still hold up. Um, and again, I don't know why they... they, they shouldn't get regular 
because that's how these songs become classics, you know, like Night Ranger. I, I'm not a big fan of Night Ranger. I can't stand Sister Christian. I love You Can Still Rock in America and um, Don't Tell Me That You Love Me, you know, from 82. I love the early stuff. But I have to say, some stuff off their last couple of records is very competitive and sounds good. It's not polished arena rock like you expect to hear, but it doesn't suck. It's like Crocus's last two or three albums before they finally called it quits um, were pretty rock solid albums. Even their covers album uh, was, was not too bad. So I was like, you know, again, you still had an opportunity to uh, keep it going. Unlike ACDC, they haven't put out a good record since 1990. So, <laughs> you know, Razor's Edge good stuff and that was a great comeback album of a comeback album about as great as back in black but back in black is now the fourth best selling record of all time or something like that so that's some good stuff anyways enough of that stuff uh so we are stressing the come and take it by ted nugent because the fact that one of the principal things of this country is enshrined in the second amendment of the bill of rights um the right to the, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. And that means there should be no restrictions on guns at all. Any type of gun control. Registration leads to confiscation. We've seen this over and over and over again. We've seen it in dystopia films. Even Red Dawn in 1984 was one of the first things they said. Go to the gun shops. Go to the sports shops. I want to know what people have registered. That way I know if I'm sending a, a, a platoon to their house or a freaking tank. So that way at least you get some idea what they're up against. So they use their own system against us during invasion so that's something said there but um we're going to cover the honorable cause a free south uh this is a book that features 12 southern essays i mentioned this a couple weeks ago um you have a good variety of authors in this particular um book and they're all southerners i am with this i am with the south in life or death in victory or defeat major general patrick claiborne Confederate States of America. The authors dedicate this book to the Southern people. May they experience the true freedom in our lifetimes. Now, one of the things I love about the South is the fact that um, they're known for their hospitality, um, not just their food, but um, um, they're very good people. And as much as people like to try to paint them as country bumpkins, oftentimes when you listen to the colloquialisms, there's a lot of wisdom in what they're saying. They have, may have a lot of references to animals, maybe even, maybe even certain plants, uh, but oftentimes they have a lot of reference to, to animals because of the fact that a lot of them are farmers or rangers. So, I mean, they uh, do cover a lot of stuff. That's one of the things I miss about the 1960s when I go back and look at it, like the Dixiecrats and um, people of that nature, is because um, the deep southern dialects, I think, in many ways have softened a bit, especially on, on any type of major news broadcast. Um, I've talked about how on Fox News, Dagan McDowell, who is obviously a lady from Georgia, is oftentimes a featured commentator on there, and she has definitely a distinctive Georgian accent. You cannot miss her accent. That's one of the things that I really like um, about that, and so it's not like everybody's trying to sound like they're from Chicago. You know, That was the thing that they were pushing for a long time, but that's one of the things that I, I miss about the, the going back and listening to the speeches and the turbulent times of the 1960s was listen to the deep southern dialects. Now, to a lot of northerners, um, and I don't reference a lot of northerners as Yankees, because when someone calls me a Yankee, I immediately stop them in a trash and go, no, sir, I'm a 
Buckeye. Yankees in the northeastern quadrant of the United States. And I agree with the late Senator Barry Goldwater. I think we should stall off that particular section of the United States and let it float out to sea. Totally agree. Get rid of the, North, the New Englanders. They have caused us more problems than anything else. But the bottom line is this. I'm a proud Buckeye. I'm bored bred uh, in the state of Ohio, and it's not because of some damn football team. This is my home. This is my homeland. Just like George Robert E. Lee could not raise his sword against Virginia when called upon to lead the Army of the Potomac. Because of the simple fact that Virginia homeland, that friends, neighbors, and family all lived in Virginia. Many of them he probably knew or knew of. So, again, you have to understand that mentality. And I think after the Civil War and I think after the, the, the uh, nationalization of our money, as well as some other things, we've lost a lot of that. And I think after World War One, when they started doing zip codes, supposedly for postal zone, a lot of people don't realize that zip codes are actually bombing coordinates. So, again, we've also been getting into this tribal mentality that people recognize where they live through a zip code. I can't even tell you how many people I've seen reference 937, which is area code here in the Dayton area, or even have tattoos of 937 on their, on their leg or something, you know. Um, or they everything in Ohio has to be laid between either uh, Bengals, Browns, or Buckeyes. I mean, seriously, and I'm and I'm talking about the football team there. That that's a travesty. Ohio is the greatest state in the union for the simple fact that we have a great mix of industrial and agrarian backgrounds here. We also have more metropolitan contracts than any other state, including California or Texas. We have at least six, if not seven, major metropolitan complexes and a lot of industry in those complexes. Dayton, Ohio, for example, is home to um, John Patterson, who created the National Cash Register. Also, the Wright brothers created their Wright B. Fly here. So they may have flown to North Carolina, and after the big debate between North Carolina and Ohio, we were the birthplace of aviation, whereas they are first in flight. See, that's how we kind of got that debate settled. Also, anyone who goes past Toledo into enemy territory into Michigan – Stay there. You're no longer our countrymen. People need to look at some particular thing. There is some serious bad blood between us and Michigan because the Battle of Toledo, where Toledo was, was argued to be part of the Michigan Territory and the state of Ohio demanded Congress actually do something about it. It actually came to blows at one point. There was actually firing lines between Ohioans and Michiganders. And unfortunately... Congress let us keep Toledo, which is a complete shithole now, but they gave the, the, the upper peninsula part of Wisconsin Territory to Michigan. Because I always wondered, how did Michigan too, get two peninsulae? I don't understand that. Then I started looking at history. I was like, oh, that's BS. Well, this is how we solve that problem. I say either we spin that off to another state or you give that damn territory back to Wisconsin where it belongs. That's their land, and that's what it should stay with. So these are some of the same arguments the Southerners had with Northerners that led to the Civil War. But if you understand the basics of federalism and you understand why we, after the Revolution War, we formed a confederation to begin with. We were 13 sovereign states. In other words, we were 13 separate countries. And unfortunately, some of the bigger ones, such as New York, Virginia, and Georgia, were running the show. And so something had to be balanced out so the Articles of the Confederation wasn't working very well. So we created the Constitution of the United States. But it's something always to remember. 
This is why we do not want to advocate for an Article 5 Constitution Convention, because we sent delegates to fix the Articles of, of Confederation. Instead, it's the whole thing Constitution. The good thing about that is we had honorable men who deliberated and, and literally almost came to blows trying to get it right for this country. And then the big, huge argument between the Bill of Rights and the not Bill of Rights is found in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers. It's anything, and anyone should read that and understand the basics of how this government is founded. But the bottom line is the reset button is always within the Declaration of Independence, which was written by Virginian Thomas Jefferson, who was picked by a Yankee, John Adams, to write it. <laughs> so, I mean, again, we have to look at the, the, the beautiful union we have and the different regions of territory. It, those two states are, are the same. Each state is different, has its own heritage, culture, and people. Plus, that some people settle in certain states and won't settle in others. Maybe it was just opportunity. Many came to the South because they're farmers by trade, whether they're Irish, Scottish, Dutch, or Deutsch. They all came to the South because of the fact that South is where you go and plant your crops. Again, the South has a very honorable system. There's still a lot of honor in the South, and uh, I think a lot of us up North forget that. Now, I'm not saying that a lot of our country folks out here aren't honorable. It's just I think there's a little bit more of a romanticism with Southerners with that because, in fact, it's part of who they are. Not to mention that more Southerners have been decorated with the Congressional Medal of Honor than any other region of the United States. As Ann Coulter said, Southerners are a warrior class, from Audie Murphy to whomever. All of them are Southerners. I think that's something to bring up. But before we go to a quick break and bring on James Edwards, I want to reiterate this point that I would encourage you to go to Amazon and get the Honorable Cause of Free South, 12 Southern Essays. The artists that are actually featured on here are James Edwards, who we're getting ready to speak with, Dixie O'Hara, Harry Bluff, Neil Kumar, Father O'Dabney, Jude Ruffin, Dr. Michael Hill of League of South, N. Wilson-Smith, Rick Dirtwater, Harmonica, Rebecca Dillingham, and Padre Martin. So, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe he's actually supposed to be scheduled for this evening as well. So, Padre, if you are listening, um, I will message you, brother, and we'll get you on here shortly after James leaves. Because um, actually, it would be a good one to punch because of the fact that. I wanted to make sure we got this covered because, in fact, there's a lot of great essays on here. I started reading some of them, but I hadn't had a chance to really dive into it. But since it's going to be crappy and rainy this weekend, I got every excuse to sit down and read it because I don't want to go out in the rain if I don't have to. But, again, uh, these are some excellent essays, and I encourage you to check them out. For example, um, James's topic of his essay is There's No Place Like Home, and I'm sure he'll explain what that's about. The one that really caught my eye is Making Secession a Reality, a Strategy by Padre Martin. Okay, that is powerful because of the fact that I have advocated for 50-state secession to render the federal government superfluous and to bring it back. And I think James would definitely agree with me on that because of the fact that, again, I understand the basics of federalism and um, why the states need to be states again. We need to start taking power back from the federal government and quit giving it to the federal government whether it's the Patriot Act, 
the Warner Def- the Warner Defense Bill, whatever the case may be, all that crap needs to be rescinded, and we need to use nullification to uh, get rid of those. So we'll be back after these brief messages. We are the American Freedom Party. This is the most urgent time in the history of Western civilization. In the year 1900, white people of European descent comprised 35% of the world population. Today it is less than 9% and falling fast. Europe is being overrun with Middle Eastern immigrants and America's founding stock is rapidly being replaced with third world peoples from around the globe. For the last 50 years, every influential institution in this nation, our schools and universities, our media, our churches and our employers, have promoted policies and principles that teach whites to be ashamed of their great heritage and birthright. We, who in the 1950s, the 1960s and 1970s were the world's dominant force, are now so afraid of being called racist that we were quailing towards irrelevance and extinction. Join the American Freedom Party today. Reach us at theamericanfreedomparty.us or call us at 701-317-5317. Paid for by the American Freedom Party. We have the new product at InfoWarsLife.com, BioTrue Selenium. We've had so many requests over the years for selenium, and just recently we were able to source a certified organic bioavailable selenium from mustard seed extract. When you take selenium in the body, it actually benefits the detoxification systems in your body. It helps balance the thyroid gland. It helps detoxify. Selenium is another one of those absolute must-haves. The highest concentration of selenium is in the thyroid gland, but it's actually used all over the body. As a matter of fact, there's 25 genes in the body that are directly dependent upon selenium. So it really is a all-around nutrient that everybody really needs. I'm taking it now every day. This is so key. BioTrue Selenium is the product, the best selenium that we could bring you. We believe it's the best out there at a very, very low price. Exclusively available at InfoWarsLife.com or by calling toll-free 888-253-3139. You're listening to The St. Thomas Show on the Resolution Radio Network. Do you want to fix America's police and take the country back in the process? If you answered yes, then CSPOA needs you. CSPOA.org, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, is an organization comprised of citizens, sheriffs, police, and other government officials. We are taking America back sheriff by sheriff, county by county, and state by state, and we need you. Over 300 sheriffs constitutionally trained, we teach public servants the Constitution and need your help. Become a part of the solution today at CSPOA.org. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time.
All right, welcome back to the Resolution Radio Network of ResolutionRDO.com. You are listening to St. Thomas Show, and I am your host, St. Thomas. If you want to call in and just listen out there, go to 607-203-5423. It's 607-203-5423. Okay, so <laughs> I, made a, a, I made a mistake. <laughs> I had gotten a group message, and I thought James was actually jumping on tonight, um, and not Padre, because I was driving when I read the message, and I thought it was James. And I thought, okay, I thought he didn't know he was able to come on through this. But, oh, I get it now. So now I, I looked at my counter, I'm like, duh, right here next to me on my wall. So I apologize, Padre, because the fact that um, <laughs> now i got the egg all over my face, bro, but it's all good. I'm going to make an omelet out of it. Anyway, so... Um, now that Southerners make some damn good breakfast too, man. Got to get them grits. Anyway, so um, I remember my mother first tried grits. She was like, I don't know what the big deal about grits is. Now she loves them. <laughs> there are times she goes out there like Cracker Barrel or something. She always gets grits. Anyways, okay, so James Edwards is one of the main um, guys behind this. But Padre, his essay on secession is a much-to-be-talked-about topic. Because of the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene has pushed and said that we need to have a national divorce. And we know what that means. So making secession a reality, a strategy, is something I definitely want to talk to Padraig about. Because of the fact that I think he's definitely spot on on the topic. And uh, I mean, I've advocated for 50 state secession for a while. And not to mention that as much as the BLM and all this other crap are pushing, that they want to have um, their own segregated stuff. So, I mean, again, we, we've been pushing – desegregation for all these decades and what has it gotten us nothing we've got a huge welfare system now that's based on blacks it's become generational um the black family is is pretty much all been but destroyed 90 percent illegitimacy rate and the violent crime and issues is absolutely disgusting plus the fact that allowing of uh interracial marriages in this country was another way to diminish the white population but another major issue is too is the black on white crime is incredible. Matter of fact, I was just reading um, a story yesterday, I think, and as soon as it said that, oh, I know it was, it was uh, the Alabama shooting where a six, sweet 16th birthday got shot up. It says uh, two teens, you know, there's also teens. I said, hey, I'll bet you they're, they're freaking coons, man. It's got to be because I said, that's why you listen to teens. Sure as shit, you go look in the thing, boom, there you are. As soon as you saw the names, two two brothers, man. I don't mean just brothers, man. I mean brothers, actually brothers, shot up a sweet 16 guy because they were trying to get to the sweet 16-year-old's older brother because they had a beef with him. What a douchebag, man. Seriously, you go shoot up a guy's younger sister's birthday party because just because you want to be a punk? I mean, seriously, man. We need to get back to the fact that when you go and step up and be stupid like that, you get a fucking ass whooping real fast, man. Matter of fact, I just shared a video on Resolution Radio on Twitter where basically said uh, um, whites were standing up for themselves again, and uh, basically showed, let's see, uh, the wrath of the fed-up white man from racial conscience. It basically shows um, these whites beating the shit out of these jigaboos out there, man. Their britches hanging off their ass and shit, and they're just getting the shit pounded out of them. And a lot of times what happens is when blacks attack white, they swarm them. They very rarely fight one-on-one. But when they do get their asses whooped, you know, they, they, they crawl back and cry for their mama. So it's pretty fucking obvious. But they don't fight one-on-one too often. They usually go and swarm because they, they feel uh, 
more just like hyenas. They attack in packs and numbers. So, again, that's another issue in itself. Okay, so on my topic of secession, I've talked about many times of this. As a, as a historical buff, I am a big fan of what the South did because they were right to do it. There's an excellent video, again, on the Kings and Generals page on Facebook where they talk about um, why the South seceded. And it explains all the tariffs and all the regulations and the crap that the North was pushing on the South for a long time. It almost came to a head in the 1820s, I do believe. And uh, it, it, it really got to a breaking point, and then Jackson kind of simmered it down a little bit. But then they started ramping it back up. And again, a couple presidents before Lincoln, especially Buchanan. He already had, already put, like, was a 32% tax on on Southerners. And Lincoln said, not only was he going to enforce it, but he was going to raise it to, like, 36%. I mean, that's the type of shit that Bill Clinton did. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> wow, man. And, again, some of the shit that goes on these days, our ancestors would be shooting by now. That's a serious issue. So, Padraig, welcome to the Sunny Thomas Show. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Like I said, man, I apologize. When I looked at the message while I was driving, I thought it was James responding to me because I thought it showed his face popping up. Like I thought he was asking me the question about tonight. I said, I don't remember James coming on tonight. I said, okay, well, that's great. I'll have to make sure I hustle. So I was trying to get some groceries and, and get home, and I realized that as I'm looking at this, I'm going, Hang on, I'm, wasn't I supposed to have somebody else? I looked at my calendar, and there it is, circled on a big-ass April 20th, Padre Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, James and is a great guy. And, and, yeah, and by the way, sorry, go uh, ahead. happy birthday, Uncle A. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, 420 today, so, um, you know, some people celebrate 420 for no reason. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, different reasons to celebrate 420, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a pothead. So I, I think that's um, why they pushed that shit day. because I think that's why they pushed that shit because that's the counterbalance to that particular date. I, I, I guarantee you that's why they pushed 420. So nevertheless, uh, I've thought, I've thought um, about that. And it makes sense. Right. Well, let's let's cut down to brass tacks, brother, because uh, you and I had a pretty good conversation last week, and uh, definitely are, are reading from the same sheet of music, that's for sure. And uh, we've also crossed each other's paths uh, indirectly. We're both in Charlottesville, and um, uh, you were up front in the League of the South, and I was in the back filming it from uh, holding holding the sticks, you know, and moving my way forward. And I tell you what, that was an interesting thing to see. Yet. I saw something very, very disgusting today. Three individuals that were at the Tiki March the Friday night before that event have been indicted. They basically have identified and they're going after them. Now, this is bullshit because of the fact that um, – and, and, and then some of, them, some of them somewhere because they use some sort of pepper spray or, right, hell, baked the last – got bear spray in his eyes, if I recall correctly, but um, – which almost blinded the guy. But that being said um, – now they're trying to go after for intimidation, and it's like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? You you look at the the, the counter protesters out there. You tell me them throwing shit into the fucking into the park was not a form of intimidation? So it's, yeah, it's I mean, what you know, Democrats run the show in cities like Charlottesville because they've took a good town that was since you founded by Thomas Jefferson and turned it into a fucking uh, Democrat liberal enclave where uh, culture of Marxism. Is the lay of the land. So, 
like I said, let, let's start with the basics first, man. Let's go back to that day. I don't know if you were there that Friday evening, maybe saw it or partake in it, but you were definitely there Saturday. And um, I have to admit that, that that was a fucking great day in history, man. I'm glad to be part of that. And I know you were, too, standing right next to Dr. Hill, Michael Tubbs. So, I mean, um, as well as like Baker, these are all good men that believe. Um, and, and that's what we we're missing, principled men. There's a lot of – too many guys that go stick their finger in the wind, decide where to go. Some people like you and me are steadfast, dude. We're, 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 we're in our skin. We're comfortable in our clothes, and we don't give two shits what anyone thinks about it. You know, we, I've seen a lot of uh, names and faces drop off uh, over the years. And Charlottesville now happened six years ago, and, you know, really the movement, I think, I think uh, the pro-Southern – movement in general has always been around, but it really gained traction in 2015 after the uh, Dylan Roof shooting and, and subsequent attack on our monuments and our icons. And it's been a good, like, roughly eight years of continuous activism, progressive, progressing, not progressive, but progressing activism in terms of acceleration. And since 2017, when a lot of folks were docked, a lot of people were ruined, I've seen a lot of names run away from the fight. Uh, so those who are still sticking around uh, past Charlottesville, you know, that's, that says a lot. So, you know, and I've seen, I mean, I wasn't there on Friday night. I was, I was had a bunch of friends of mine in Richmond. I was having supper with them um, down in Richmond. I, I had lived in Richmond for a while, but I wound up looking up on television and LS in general was not uh, really told about the, the torch march until really about the last minute. But I looked up, and saw the torch march, and I thought it was on one of the local news channels, and I thought it was beautiful, actually, to be honest. And um, oh, hell yeah. you know, what they were able to put together, you know. And so the next day, of course, I think what was even uh, prettier about it was that with all the bedlam and all the hood, you know, the, all the stuff that was going on, and, and certainly the Antifa outnumbered us easily five, six, seven to one, depending upon you know, when you were there, was that LS. Uh, took the route that was told for us to take. Uh, I was standing right next to Ike Baker, who was at the time in charge of Leeds security from a national perspective. And I was standing right there when the police department told us to park at the Market Street uh, parking lot with the rest of the members of the National Front. The, um, you know, wound up going over there. They told us to march down that particular road. I believe it was north side of Market, of the uh, the park, of Lee Park, is where Market Street is located. So the Market Street garage was not was right adjacent really to the police station, police, police department. And we were told to march there. We were told we're going to have uh, full protection and that they would keep the route clear for us if we marched that way. But if we didn't, they would, could not, uh, they could not guarantee our safety. And so with very clear instructions, I mean, Mike Baker, Doc Hill, uh, multiple times asked the question, is this, is this what you want us to do now? We're, we're not here to do violence guys. We're going to follow the law. they very important about it, told us all that. And we come across the hill, and there's thousands of Antifa standing in our way, and they're spitting at us. They're shooting um, pepper spray at us. They're throwing things at us of all kinds of fireworks. Things. I mean, all sorts of shit, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not only that. And, of course, well, nothing. LS is the tip of the spear, man, because not only did I see the footage, where I shot it from the back, you can see we're all peacefully marching down there, all showing our colors, all showing our rank. Um, various insignia, and the next thing you know, you see them plow. Uh, it was like one or two guys jumped right in and 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 attacked um, 
Matter of fact, I, I don't think they hit Ellis first. I think they hit uh, uh, TWP. I think they, they attacked Matt Heimbach and his crew because they were right behind you guys. And then all of a sudden, others started to step up and try to start shit, if I remember correctly. And, and, yeah. and the funny thing was, I got some really good footage from the side there. And uh, matter of fact, some hardcore left-wing wannabe journalist was trying to dox guys. And uh, I got a great shot of his face, dude. And I screenshotted that and sent it to the couple of people that were asking about it. Boom. They nailed that fucker. Boy, they, they give him a fucking nice little um, nice little heads up. Like, oh, yeah, dude, you couldn't miss this guy. And I was able to triangulate it because of the fact that uh, well, he said, can you figure out who this is? And I was looking at that guy's footage. I said, well, he's obviously got a selfie stick. He was the only dumb fucking retard that had a selfie stick. And he had it stretched out to its maximum height and trying to get angled shots. And boom, I got him sitting there with this flame tattoo on his forearm and everything, holding this thing up. I'm like, yeah, I got you, fuckhead. Screenshot handball, yeah, that, they gave him a nice little visit, little reality check. So, I mean, that's the thing that needs to be reminded is that, uh, you know, how, how we do it in the city, man, is old school. You know, we, we don't put up with that shit, man. Like, you don't park in front of our houses, especially on the weekend. You don't, you know, mess around with our fucking daughters. You don't, you know, don't piss in our yard because, you know, I'm old school, man. You piss in my yard, I cut your willy off. It's that simple. You know, I think that's interesting you say that. You know, it, when I was growing up, there was none of this, you know, sort of separation through internet and what have you. I mean, I grew up in the 1980s, you know, as a teenager and then uh, early 20s, uh, early 90s, excuse me, uh, in, in my 20s. And if you tried uh, that kind of, you know, crap, we, you just get punched in the face. I mean, straight up punched in the face. You probably get a visit from myself and if you had a, a decent sized crew, you'd probably get a, a punch in the face from both uh, my brother and I. I mean, uh, and our friends. So it all depended. Uh, but you didn't you didn't hide behind a screen. You didn't hide behind cameras. You didn't hide. You know, you you weren't trying to dox folks. Yeah, you know, it's really it's a very uh, Jewish way of doing things. Very pussified way of doing things. Yeah. It's, uh, really a, a, it's, it's a really it's the weak. I mean, that's what it is. It's just a bunch of whips. And so these are guys are these are soy you know soy consuming. Um, really, you know, homosexuals. And you know, one of the things I learned about the NT for that day was when you punch them in the face, they drop like a like a rock. I mean, they would drop quick, boom. And the same with BLM and all those other characters. None of them are strong one on one. And you know, you it was one of them that came at us. And one of the reasons I was originally docked was you know, one came. One, I think one had come after the, the initial crowd. We kept marching over this individual. And it stood up. Now, when it stood up, I wasn't sure if it was a male or a female. It was tall. It was big. But <laughs> it looked like a female. But it had one of those um, neck things. So I kind of, you know, I don't like to hit women. You know, if I was you mean a, a woman, I just kind of push it. Was it? Or you mean like it a female? It was a white Yeah, yeah. This one is a, yeah. One of those, like, uh, those, like, things that they put around. What do they call those things? I don't know. Yeah, gator or whatever. <laughs> anyway, I... You know, I, I kind of held my punch back because I was like, I'm not sure if it's a man or female. Um, but then it was asking for a bag or something, but it was yelling at us. And I was like, it's, it's got to be a guy. I'm, I'm thinking it's just, it's just uh, you know, other guy who uh, cut his penis off. You know, was, uh, so anyway, I just I just kind of like deck, deck it. But I didn't go full board because I wasn't sure still. But I'm not out of the job. Sorry, man. 
So, man, man, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, she, yeah. Uh, him, yeah. her, uh, what, whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call yeah, him. Yeah. I mean, what do you call these guys now? A shim. Yeah, a shim. A shim. A shim. So I punched shim uh, <laughs> in the face, but I, you know, that was it. But and then and then one of the guys next to me, I think he was just like, I don't understand what it is. Um, and he went down, and I just kept on marching. I was like, guys, just get back in the park. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and then, of course, at the line, it was uh, it was almost like playing a game of whack-a-mole. You know, you had, you had uh, Mike Tubbs is up front of the line of the movement, line of the day, really, uh, just bravely standing in front of the shield wall, no no shield for himself. I couldn't fit my arm in the shield. They were too curved. I'm a pretty big guy. Yeah. I'm six foot three. I'm 300 pounds. But, um, but, you know, so I was standing there, and, you know, they come up to me, I was just kind of like, boom, you know, and it was, it was a thing, it was a woman drop, and then it would come up, boom, and it would drop again. And one time I got into, like, a sword fight almost, this sort of, uh, with um, two batons. Was, I had a baton, and, and this individual had a baton, and they also had helmets. I didn't have a helmet on. You know, I didn't know what to expect really that day, to be honest. Right. And so we are doing a sword fight, like, kind of like Robin Hood from, uh, you know, back in the day, and it was, it was two batons. And then some, uh, you know, black fellow. Uh, that was put out politely, uh, comes over and whacks me in the arm and shoulder with a stick with nails. And uh, and so it kind of stunned me a little bit, and then this, this little character just kind of melted away, whatever little Jew decided he was going to come at me with a baton. Um, and it really the whole day was just a matter of just like, punk, 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 punk. And it was it was almost like, I don't know, you know I was playing a video game from like the 1980s or something. It was like, you just hit as many as you could in the head. And, uh, yeah. and they just kept going down, just kept going down. And and I noticed that they, you know, when they were going up against the guys with Patriot Prayer and all that stuff, uh, you know, the, the Proud Boys later on, they clearly learned their lesson from Charlottesville because they began wearing practically body armor to go fight those fellas. And, uh, of course, they never decided to fight, you know, one-on-one again. They decided they were going to come in groups, and that's what they do. They they, they fight just the way uh, the Jigs fight. They they surround you. They come in vast numbers. They surround you. That's what they attack you as an individual. If they can isolate you, they never fight one on one, you know, like white people fight. So, you know, again, it's a, uh, it was definitely a day, no question about it. I want to be arrested, by the way, uh, as a result of that day. And um, for an incident that was completely outside of the incident, that, that, that outside of the, uh, the actual march, it was, I lost my keys. I was trying to break into my own car. And the cops arrested me because uh, I had a, a, a gun on me that was handed to me after the event. Uh, to protect myself while I was trying to break into my own damn gun car. And uh, I was sitting there, and James Fields was right next to me. And at the time, I remember I was sitting there, I was in handcuffs, and James is right next to me. I'm sitting on, on one bench, and he's sort of sitting perpendicular to me on another bench, and they ordered us not to talk. But, I mean, I looked at him, and man, I'm, I'm a lot older than he is. And he, uh, you know, I, I watched him, and, and he looked like a kid who had just got a DUI. Like, I had no idea who he was because I've already been in custody, so I was not aware of the whole, you know, car accident that occurred. And uh, he looked like, I mean, he was red-faced. He, he was clearly disheveled. looked like he had gotten hit a couple of, I thought he got into an accident. I thought he got into a DUI accident of some kind. And yeah. I was watching this. Police kept coming out to him and saying, you know, would you sign this? And then they go inside a room, and they come back and they're like, okay, now you did this on purpose, right? And I remember them saying this. Like, you did this. This was intentional. And uh, he just looked at him with a blank stare. Like, well, just, just autograph it here, you know, that you did this intentionally. And so they, they put a little line on there. I was watching him. And, I mean, I looked at him, and I knew they were railroading him. 
And when they all went back in, the police went back into the room, I, I, I told them, I said, hey, brother, you don't, don't sign anything else. And then, of course, the guard told me to shut my mouth. Um, but he just kept signing. He just, they kept saying, you know, here, sign here, sign here. And, I mean, he literally looked like uh, he was just stunned. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen him. He was shocked. And they just kept coming out and adding different things and adding different things to this document that they had him kept signing, signing, signing. And then he went inside a special room for the magistrate, and I didn't see him again. But um, and so I mean I, I know he went into custody at that point. But you know in terms of um, you know in terms of me, I happen to have a thankfully I had a concealed carry permit in Florida, so I was able to explain that I have a concealed carry in Florida. I just didn't have it with me in Virginia. But I'm getting a $500 fine, which is higher than you normally would. Normally it'd be dropped if you just show your concealed carry permit. But you know they, it was Charlottesville, so they were going to try to tag on anything they could to anybody. And, you know, after that movement, after that day, I realized that we need to do things differently. If we're going to make secession work, we've got to have a different strategy. Well, that's not like two, because uh, I've had Billy Roper on, and he talked about the next civil war won't be state versus state. It will be neighbor versus neighbor. And uh, I believe that, because when you when, anyone that's ever run for office, you basically what you do is you, um, you can download um, – because who, however you register to vote is public record. Uh, some people may find that offensive because, in fact, a lot of people still are old school like my grandparents, and they don't talk about who they vote for. Uh, some people find it very offensive that that information should be available. That being said, it's so it can be tallied properly. But one of the things I looked at is I had to look at who, uh, when I ran for the GOP, I had to look who my constituents would be. And each time I ran, I made sure that I may have got one or two signatures because in the state of Ohio, you only need your, your ballot only has 15 spaces um, for your local residents to sign. Okay. Now I've been told that one of the key things is you don't want to fill all 15 slots, 13, 14, maybe, but you don't want to fill all 15. I can understand that, but, but you know, whatever the case would be. Bottom line is you have to have a minimum of five, people that live in your area to sign it right so i would make sure that i may have one or two that would do excited an opportunity to visit some of these people because they're older folks and uh i gave me the opportunity to talk to them maybe uh you know some of them aren't savvy to technology and i'll kind of always have a placard of my accomplishments within the the uh the warren county gop and then when i went and actually went and um i would go to other sections in my precinct so i made sure that they were all had an opportunity to know that I was running him and I was uh, their voice for them. So they would know what was going on at this bottom of the political pyramid, that basically this is what we're doing and this is what I've done so far and what I stand for. Now, that being said, I always have interesting conversations with my constituents. And um, even when I had controversy, I still had a good turnout. And uh, not only did I, I, I win pretty good, respectable numbers in my first election, but I even had a, a competitor uh, once, maybe twice, and I beat them wholeheartedly. So my main thing is the fact that um, I made sure that I spent time to go within my precinct and make sure eventually people knew that they had someone fighting for them. Now, sadly, many times I'm in a very neocon-controlled GOP. Uh, the Tea Party did take it over at one point, but our leadership didn't do anything after that. All they did was got, got rid of the, uh, the headquarters we were renting because it was really substandard. And um, save some money before we ever get something else. Um, but nothing really got enacted, which is really a disappointment. That being said, 
um, many times, Podrick, I was the sole nay vote. I felt like Ron Paul, that they'd be up there and put a proposal up or whatever. All in favor, majority would say yet aye and against. Many times, I was the sole nay vote. Matter of fact, it was kind of funny. You talk about the reaction. If I ever say aye, and then everybody say nay, you'd see heads turn to look at me because I made sure I'd sit right up front on the right-hand side of the of the uh, the meeting room and just like nay. <laughs> Many times, and lots of the voted nay because either I didn't agree with it or we weren't allowed to debate on it. That was a big issue for me. It's like if we have an issue or bring it to a vote, why are we allowed to debate it? Give us like anything else, Robert's rules. Give us at least three minutes to debate the topic each. You know, just BS. Because we are a political body. But I got so tired of being So my last speech that I gave before I decided not to run again was I specifically said that Republicans better step up and they better start getting aggressive. Because what's going to happen is when the Democrats get get in charge, they are aggressive. And and we need to we need to denounce the Democratic Party of the United States as well as its hard left Marx wing, the Democratic Socialists, because of the fact that they are the true purveyors of perversion through the Democrat Party. And if you don't eliminate them, they're sure as shit going to eliminate you. So it's kind of like what Benjamin Franklin said. Either we hang together or we will definitely hang separately. And so that's kind of where the Join or Die cartoon comes from. Benjamin Franklin was the first uh, political cartoon to do that with the divided up snake. But some of the same issues that I was battling in there of trying to get, you know, main thing. I mean, what, what really pissed me off, Padre, in my particular case, was that my chairman is actually a gun store owner as well as an attorney, okay? And the biggest issue I had is when we had a big red flag law that they were trying to pass up here in Columbus, we were trying to get people to go up there to help protest. We needed numbers. I said, look, even if you think my rhetoric is too bold for you to, to email, you can always cut out the information. And then just put the event up there. I mean, as a gun sorter, you would think it'd be in your, definitely in your best interest to, to, to put this out. Not one freaking email got sent out. Not one. As a matter of fact, I went up there, I met a lady. She actually thought that Kelly Coles would be with me. Of course, Kelly had left the GOP by then, but still, she's a big Second Amendment app. You, you would have thought she would have been up there. So it's pretty obvious. So I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm surprised my chairman isn't here because he's a gun store owner. So, again... Some of the very same reasons why we felt like we were completely misrepresented as a minority is and, and overpowered by these neocons and, and other people that was pulling the strings is the exact same arguments that John C. Calhoun had listed in his treatises on on the uh, um, his, his first book what was a treatise on, on government. I forget the name of the book. The second book was posthumous released, but it was spot on. Basically, that the minority, the 49%, still has some legal rights to be able to push back and not be overran because that's the whole purpose of a democracy is mob rule. Or we're not – we're a representative republic, a constitutional republic. But you look at the same reasons why the South left and all the terrorists and the shit that the North was pulling, and it's absolutely insane, not to mention how they just – Try to push the slavery issue, and those very same people they end up pushing the the, the, uh, the abolitionists that are pushing the whole damn slavery issue, which led to the Civil War, were the same sons of bitches that were pushing the suffragette movement with women in the 1920s. And now look what's happened. We've actually 
last hundred years, we've tried to empower women to go out in the workforce and take them out of the traditional roles and put them out there and go for careers. And then many of them are very successful, whatever they end. I get that. But just like Hitler was saying, he said, you give me an attorney, and she's nothing compared to a woman that's given, that has produced four, five, six, or seven children to the state because of the fact that she ensured the future of our race. Now, that's nothing to put down the female attorney if that's her calling in life. And there's some women that do decide to choose a career because maybe they've got sisters and they've got families. Children isn't for them. Maybe they couldn't have children. But, again, I'm not going to down a woman because she chose a profession, but I want to at least consider the option of having a family and, and mixing it with their career. I mean, Sarah Palin did it, you know. But, I mean, my biggest issue is our women are the defenders of the hearth and home. It's always been tradition because the men are the hunter-gatherers. But the 1950s, which are unique to this country because after World War II – and all the all the war munitions that we created, those factories went back to making domestic stuff like cars and appliances and stuff. That was a very unique time in history. And since our infrastructure wasn't damaged, that's the only reason why that was unique. But then the unions got out of control, and they got greedy, and they got greedy, and they kept pushing for more and more and more. And then what they don't realize is it's not the company that pays. It's the customer that pays. So how is it different for states? Are we constantly getting overridden by the government? How much the government goes, oh, well, uh, you want this grant money or whatever, then you have to lower your speed limit right to 55. They remember they pulled this shit back in the 80s. That's why Sammy Hagar wrote the song, Can't Drive 55. If you want this money, you got to lower your speed to 55 miles an hour. Who the fuck are you to tell us what to do with our own fucking money? I mean, seriously, some of the same things that they're pushing on us and doing government overreach and shit are the same reasons why the states seceded in 1861. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you're, first of all, the states themselves, you're going to the, the totality of it. The states have always been, there are two separate cultures inside of the United States, these United States. And the Northeast is was largely settled, especially in the New England area. If you look at this way the states originally started, the New England area was started by militant egalitarians. These were Puritans that believed in a sort of uh, dispensationalism. Prior to it being called dispensationalism, they effectively had a, an evangelical sect had bent on them that believed in this very perverse form of Christianity that has since largely taken over Christianity as a whole. Uh, New York was a Dutch uh, territory that became Anglo. It was all about business. Pennsylvania was German. Um, they were German Quakers, pacifists, and so forth as well. The, the Northeast was largely an area settled by people that are very different than the South. The South was settled by folks who were displaced largely by the folks that settled New England. So you had Cavaliers, uh, you had sort of your highborn elite that settled along the coastline in Virginia, the Carolinas, and Georgia, and then you have into the interior of that were Irish, Scottish, and Scots-Irish, who wind up going into the interior, especially after the uh, Second Jacobite War, they want to find themselves settling in Appalachia and portions of the interior. Now you do have the French right. and you have German and, and Spanish influences, but for the most part, that's what you have, and so you have this conflict of, of cultures or societies, one that's very traditionalist in the South, from the very inception, from the very beginning, and it's sparsely populated compared to the North. And so the idea of democracy for Southerners was never a, a value of the South because population was significantly more sparse because land was a, was a much greater value to an agricultural culture, an agrarian culture, than what you had in the North, which was mostly commercial. It was 
a really right. commercial bent. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the seafarers of Boston. You're talking about the New York City uh, Dutch businessmen on Wall Street. You even talk about Philadelphia. And, and I mean, you have some, obviously, uh, agricultural land in the center of Pennsylvania. But really, that whole coastal zone up there from Philadelphia north was largely dominated by cities. So they always had a numbers advantage, so to speak, against the South in general. And so democracy wasn't the way this country was founded as a republic. And the South from the very beginning really said, okay, we're going to join this union largely because we've got a big fat tab to pay for the revolution. But we're really not keen on this. We're hesitant to sign these documents. But if we're going to do so, we want to make sure we have some kind of representative stat say that we're not overwhelmed by your sheer numbers, and we want it to be a republic. And the very foundation of the United States was largely predicated on Virginia's. Uh, you know, Virginia's Constitution was very much what James Madison ultimately took and used for the creation of the United States Constitution. Now, there were some influences from John Jay, there was influences from Alexander Hamilton, but for the most part, it was a Virginia document, it was a Southern document, and it was a Southern document designed to define and build a republic. The whole idea now, when you're talking about things like women and what have you, the reason why women have been brought into this whole mix is because, whether you like it or not, women tend to vote emotionally. Now, white women are more yeah. conservative than their people of color, um, POC counterparts, female counterparts. But that's yeah. largely because it's tribal. I mean, it's ethnonepotism. It's, it's Blacks see that they're going to displace white power inside the United States, so they vote as a block. Hispanics vote as a block. Other, Asian, other ethnic groups vote as a block. White men vote primarily as a block. About 70% of white men vote uh, for some form or some variant of the conservative party. Yeah, what they seem is That's right. And so it's where white women are kind of the, the tiebreaker, very much so. And white women, when they vote almost 60% for whomever the Republican is, the Republican wins. When white women break underneath that 50% threshold, really 55% threshold, the Republican loses. And so, and that's been proven out. That was proved out in 2016 with Trump. And even though I think 2020 Trump was robbed, um, I do think, I do believe that in part it made it easier when white women did not nearly break for him the way they should have, uh, largely because of emotional fears, emotionally driven fears related to COVID. So you well, have one group that's the, the Jews are yeah. behind that I mean, as well because of the fact that, um, of that, you know, House Divided surely cannot stand. But another reason why that they, they pushed the suffragette movement was not only to – again, that also is another factor to decrease the white population, but uh, to get women out of the house uh, for a couple different things. Miss more cosmopolitan, plus they have, if they're having more exposure by being in the workplace, um, they're less likely to have as many children. Also, there's also many mm-hmm. issues where affairs happen. Uh, because of the fact that um, they go out there and they encounter some guy or whatever, and the guy has no respect for the fact she's married, but he just wants a cheap conquest. It's more it's more of a sport if she's got a ring in her finger, you know? And then um, some shit goes on. But again, you look at the 1920s in Berlin and all the uh, drug, the degradation that was going on there and the, all the sex changes and, and all the bestiality and all the sick shit that was going on there after the, after the Germans got screwed after the war um, – that was also the beginning of it. So some of that social upheaval was brought over here uh, with the forget movement. So, I mean, but now look, 100 years well, of women's suffrage, and what do we got? 
Now we got men competing in women's sports, which completely flies in the face and is a slap in the face to any woman that's ever tried to, um, uh, you know, be the top that she could be in any sport. I mean, like me personally, I'm not a sports person at all. I, I think sports is boring, and I think sports radio is the most wasted media out there. But that being said, every now and then, if I if I do get near a TV because I don't have cable or any waste time with that shit. But I will say this though, I actually enjoy uh, female MMA fighting. I think watching their fighting styles are interesting as opposed to men fighting MMA. But that being said, it's interesting to watch women, and actually I root for women because of the fact that. I like to see good women fighters and not just pull hair and cat scratching, you know. I I enjoy watching women at technique, and a lot of these girls got that way because they had older brothers that purposely would whoop their ass to toughen them up. At the same stroke, I know a lot of Southern girls don't put up with bullshit. They'll grab you by the hair of the head and take you down, man, because the fact that these guys ain't they're, – they're tough. I mean, if they if they've lived on ranches, I've seen a lot of these girls around here that that had dealt horses and and goats and 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 um, sheep. Man, I tell you what, I think those are some of the best looking women around, dude, because they're nice and built, and uh, man, they're tough, and they and they have no qualms looking at it right in the face and tell you to go. They know they can back it up. Well, I think women that come from um, war torn or invaded areas are going to have legacies that are different than those that we've got. And what I mean by that is, if you notice, um, we were talking about this a moment ago, we're more Republican, the debasement of women, uh, this was a sexualization that occurred in the workforce and so forth. You know, a lot of that actually begins uh, in these various Christian movements that begin to emerge as sort of socialist Christian movements that emerged in the late 19th century right after the war between the states, especially in upstate New York where you had entire nudist colonies that tried to equate uh, sexual liberation with Christianity. Uh, socialism was beginning to resonate very deeply. There was a group of uh, settlers, 1848ers, 48ers, who came from throughout Europe who were socialists, revolutionaries who had to leave Europe and found themselves grounded in the United States, especially in the upper Midwest, you know, Minnesota, um, those areas, the Dakotas, uh, Wisconsin. But they also found some home in upstate New York and, they sort of mingled with these Christian egalitarians, these military egalitarians that have existed in the Boston area, and they created this sort of this libertine form of Christianity that equated male-female. I mean, this is manipulation of uh, Galatians uh, 3.28. They wound up coming up with this idea that there's neither male nor female and stuff, and they begin this sort of liberation push, which is where you get this idea of, and this is where the South, by the way, Southern women have a very distinct culture. Because while all this is going up in the north and you begin to feel these sort of women's liberation movements that are happening up there, the south was still under reconstruction. White women in the south were trying to fight off black soldiers that were armed to the teeth, and their men were unarmed or disarmed. And the only thing that was saving them from a rape by a group of black troops was a group called the Ku Klux Klan. And so you had yeah. a different element to southern women one in which they had endured over the course of an invasion of roughly four years. And then assuming their men came home, that, that's a big assumption because many of them were killed, many of them actually wound up just, just disappearing uh, and going into Mexico and other places after the war due to the shame culture that exists in the South. Again, honor is very important to Southerners. And so the women wound up fending for themselves in many ways, or if they weren't fending for themselves, they were fending uh, against 
a really black hordes that have been empowered by radical Republicans of the in the post-war era. And so our women ultimately grow in a different parallel path. They recognize from a very early on the importance of soil. So you know, when you talk about soil, you're talking about the ground, the, the, where, you, where the roots of your ground are from. And they're imparting that on their children. They're telling their little boys and their little girls it's very important to be Southern. And their grandparents and their great-grandparents after that, eventually, even to this day, there are folks that know that their great-grandma, great-great-grandma, was, was taught by their great-grandma that the soul was important, the soul of the South. But then you look at it, blood, genetic blood. So it becomes a blood and soul movement that is centered around femininity. Uh, Dixie O'Hara writes about that in the book, The Honorable Cause, about how this, this integration of femininity with both, again, this blood and soul dynamic, this genetic dynamic. So while these women are running around naked up in upstate New York and believing that Jesus Christ is a hippie and it's all socialist and also happiness and blah, 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 going up there in these other areas, our women were struggling to feed their people. Our women were struggling to uh, ensure the continuity of, of their progeny. Our women were producing to replace that which was lost, meaning multiple children, and our women were then growing and continuing to teach children while these southern men were having to fight to survive, to struggle. And so it was a mm-hmm. shared struggle when you're talking about men and women in the South. In a very in a unique way, and I you know I kind of see that, and I it, it pains me to see it really, because I see it with other European states. The Irish is very strong; it's very strongly embedded, it's very strongly embedded in the Scots. The Germans, on the other hand, have been so browbeaten in the post World War II era by really a, a very large, by essentially a Jewish academia, and a vindictive Judeo-Bolshevik system that has completely emasculated German culture, uh, and unfortunately the women who suffered incredible depredations during the war, especially after the war when the Soviets rolled in, and what they did to German women is horrifying. Um, and these, these poor German women have, don't have that same kind of relationship with their men, and certainly don't have the same relationship with their, their vote and their country the way Southern women do. And so when you talk about Southern mm-hmm. women having sort of a harder edge, I mean, I, can, I have seen women who are beautiful Southern Bells, gorgeous Southern Bells, who hold themselves in a way that is you know, admirable and keeps themselves uh, and, and should be respected by their, their forefathers. In my personal belief, your, your ancestors are looking down upon you every day. Do not dishonor them. Um, but that said, and, and they don't dishonor their ancestors. But at the same time, they, uh, if, you, if they need to, they can throw a punch. And so I think that's where you, you see that dynamic play out in the South, that is a very distinct type of female. Uh, and that's why our females vote roughly 60%, 70% conservative when uh, other, these other areas have females that are maybe doing 30%, 40% conservative, despite the fact that they're getting raped in god-awful numbers in these, uh, you know, among these people of color uh, in places like New York City and Chicago and other places. Well, not that, but it, here's a post that I put that said, um, Dismiss the truth because you are told to disregard the author. Quote, the phrase, emancipation of women, is only invention of the Jewish intellect, and its content is stamped with the same spirit. In really good periods of German life, the German woman never needed to emancipate herself. The so-called granting of equal rights to women, which Marxism demands, 
in reality does not grant equal rights but constitutes a deprivation of rights since it draws the woman into an area which she would necessarily be inferior. The woman has her own battlefield. For every child that she brings into the world, she fights a battle for the nation. Now, you can't disagree with that statement. It's just we're told that, no. oh, because the author, you have to dismiss it. And that's the thing. I mean, too many times we have people that are uh, dismissed because of um, they're, they're branded for something. I don't care if it's a musician or a politico, whatever the case may be. I mean, be quite honest, one of my favorite civil rights leaders is actually Malcolm X. Because if you actually go and look who Malcolm X was, previously Malcolm Little, he was a two-bit thug that got busted. So while he was in prison, he basically um, met up with a guy from Nation of Islam and said, here, there's two books I want you to read, the Quran and Webster's Dictionary. Know them both. And if you ever watch any of his interviews in the 60s, um, he was actually interviewing you know, top, top journalists and stuff at the time, top interviewers, and he was just pulling it out there straight up as it was, man, talking about the difference between the – uh, a house nigger and a field nigger and and uh, all this other stuff and, and everything he said was right but because he's black or because he's a black nationalist people want to dismiss him or they want to warp it some way because we're looking for another black leader because they don't have too many you know because personally I think Malcolm X is a much more better leader for blacks than Martin Luther King Jr. but that being said um, you, you, you read his statements and stuff and, so, and then towards the end before he was murdered by his own people he realized that whites weren't the problem, that whites were actually a benefit to him because many whites wanted to, wanted to work with them, and he blew them off. But when he actually went to Mecca and came back, he must have had an aha moment, and he realized that something wasn't quite right, and so he started to go his own way. And, of course, they don't like competition, so they can make sure they killed him before he started his own church. But, again, you cannot disagree with what the man says. So whites can learn a lot from him, just like with George Lincoln Rockwell. You can hear a lot of the stuff that he talks about. He, this is a guy that somewhere during the war, he kind of realized, what the hell are we fighting this shit for? And then when he, and when he comes back afterwards, he has some general questions. He sat down and read Mein Kampf, and he realized, holy shit, man, we fought the wrong fucking enemy. Same thing that Patton comes to the realization of. We fought the wrong enemy. And uh, he didn't trust the Russians at all. And so, And, of course, he was taken out, too. So, again, we have a lot of guys out there. At some point, get an aha moment, and then as soon as they start to speak out, they're, they're just targeted. And that's the thing. We, we have to stand out and do something, whether it's you, whether it's me, whatever the case may be. You know, when, when I was there at Charlottesville, I had at least two or three people come up to me and ask, you know, hey, hey aren't you St. Thomas? I said, depending on who's asking, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, it was nice to have a couple guys come up to me and say, hey, man, I listen to your show all the time. I like this. I like that. Whatever. Gave me some feedback. And it was fairly positive. But the bottom line is, I say, you know what? If I inspire you to start your own podcast, do it. Because Alex Jones inspired me. And um, that's the whole thing. It's just like a lot of my favorite recording artists. I read their interviews and said, well, who are your influences? Oh, I hear a lot of the same ones. Oh, the Beatles, or the Stones, or uh, you know, this guy, this person, that one, whatever the case may be. Um, some like this flavor. You know, that's how fun I get. I can appreciate black music. That doesn't mean I want to sell out and be that guy. I go, oh, man, I want to do the exact same thing that this dude was doing. No, dude, I can look at a musician, regardless if he's black or white, and say, wow, man, I really like what you did there. 
and when you when you play music, you, music is a universal language, man. And and I think that's the best way to communicate with people is through music, because even if the if there's a language barrier, music is the universal unifier, because we all understand melody, which is big thing for Europeans, obviously melody and and things like that. But I mean the thing is, we can still have respect for each other's work and just go, wow, I really like what you did on this album. I really like that song, or I like that hook. And and I love it when people sit down individually with their musical instrument and feed off each other, because that's what it's all about. But at the same stroke, it doesn't mean, oh, just because this guy does this, I should give him, I should give him headliner status, or I should make sure he gets all the tour dates he can get. No, nah, dude, that's not the way it works. But the main thing is that I look at is, we have a lot to learn from each other, but one thing I respect about the blacks prior to the movements in the 1960s was they were a fairly decent-knit community in, in many regards. They looked out for each other. They actually um, had families. Dad kept them in line. Believe me, you fucked up. You better go out to the switch tree, and you get me a small twig, I'm going to beat your ass twice as hard. I mean, you know, but I mean, and, and they're taking that from us too, Padre. They're taking away our, our corporal punishment at home. You know, when, you, when you've got a divided house, two parents live in separate places, and then you, you let your kids run loose and, and, and do all this shit and then occasionally try to keep them in line, by then it's too late. Then by the time they come to dads, it's like, oh, man, oh, hold on. You're acting up. You can't be doing shit. Stop. Okay, that's it. Over your knee. And then they flip the fuck out because you had to fucking correct them. It's like, wait a minute. You can't state me. It's like, the fuck I can't. This is my house. You know, that shit don't fly. I mean, even I've had conversations with law enforcement, and, and they kind of look at me funny. I'm like, let me tell you something, dude. If I even did a tenth of what these kids do today, my mother would have had my fucking ass. It would have been fucking framed next to that picture she just bought from fucking Wilder Beerman's on the fucking wall, okay? My ass would be framed on that wall because that shit don't fly. I mean, even something as simple as a good friend of mine growing up had a wooden ha- uh, a paddle. And every time he fucked up, his stepdad would drill a hole in it. As a reminder, these are the number of times you fucked up. And that's what's going to make the thing whistle even better when it comes swinging on your ass. So it was a it was positive reinforcement to say, um, you might not want to keep going. Because if I keep drilling holes in this, it's going to whistle before it works. <laughs> well, you know, I'd say in terms of the... Uh... In terms of the, you know, distinctions in nationalism and so forth as well, you know, it's, when I was in prison, uh, the, the head of the Nation of Islam used to cut my hair. And we would, uh, would say he get the best haircut in, in the prison. And you know, he and I would talk about uh, different racial issues. Of course, I was inside. I was known as a member of the League of the South at that point. Um, I would talk about my racial issues, uh, talk about in my my perspectives on things, my perspective on Christian identitarianism and so forth as well, which I was doing a long conversation with various inmates on, uh, and Southern activism. And he and I would discuss things. And, you know, he and I saw eye to eye on many things, and including especially with regard to the deleterious impact of uh, the Jewish community in the United States and the Western society. And so we were talking about these things. We were talking about how all of this is kind of combined. And to me personally, I'm a separatist. I'm a separatist. That's who I am. I mean, I would like to see, you know, I, I don't really care. You know, let, let the blacks go and have uh, Africa back. Let them, let them go and take that. 
Let us take back our white societies, our white cultures. Let the Hispanics go and, and live wherever they feel comfortable, I guess, Mexico or what have you, um, you know, Spain and whatnot. But yeah, this is where I, this is what I think should happen. Asians should be where Asians are, you know, whether it's China, Japan, whatnot. The, the thing is, as white people, we're the only ones who are being targeted for desiring to have our own homelands. We're the ones that are being imposed around. We're being forced to embrace these, this multiculturalism which is trying to destroy us. And that's, again, one of the reasons why, you know, writing these books like The Honorable Cause, talking about you know, what, the blog that I contribute to, I did a Dixie. Also, I also have a podcast, Dixie the Rocks. What we talk about is it's our nation, southern nation, you know, what, what defines us, and trying to reinforce that because the one thing that whites have that's been coming against them in so many ways, one is, you know, the enemy has, really weaponize our empathy. Whites are naturally empathetic to people. And as a result, that weaponization of our empathy, of our sincere empathy, has been used against us in ways that are outlandishly evil. Blacks know it. When you have a black predator that comes after a white girl, it's because you know that white girl has been trained not to be racist, and she's been trained to be nice. And she feels a certain emotional compulsion to be nice. Um, even white boys are taught to be kind and to have a certain feeling for this other being so they don't get harmed or what have you. That's why they get preyed upon. That's how they get preyed upon. Not, not only that, what is one of the first things a black female will attack a white female? They First, they'll try to stun her by smacking her face or, or trying to punch her in the nose. They do that so they can get a hold of their hair because of the fact that mm-hmm. in many cultures, long hair and women – is a sign of youth and virility, as well as um, their ethnic background. That's why you yes, see you see a, a lot of the the braids and stuff that European women do. I mean, even even the mm-hmm. show, um, what's that damn Disney movie with the two girls? Um, Frozen. Ice, uh, yeah, Frozen. Whatever. Frozen. Frozen. Yeah. The, the first one, yeah. both the girls had their hair braided. The second one, their hair's loose. Because of fact that people are bitching and say, well, the braids are a symbol of white supremacy. Okay, well, it's not fine and good, but there may be some truth to that. But the bottom line is what it does is it shows European ethnicity and European ancestry. And, of course, now not every woman can braid their hair because some women have very fine hair and it doesn't look as good. But those women have thick, beautiful locks and are able to braid it. It really says something, especially when they, they braid it real a certain way. And, and it takes time, but that's one of the things I've noticed when I watch these, these videos where these bitches step up and they – you can just tell by their, 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 their postures. They're getting ready to attack, and uh, and a lot of white girls think they can talk them out of it. You can't talk sense to a savage. I mean it's like no, trying to say good, like good boy to, like, to a rabid dog is getting ready to bite your leg off, yeah. man, because like, oh, good boy, good boy. Yeah, he's going gonna to bite your nads off, dude. Yeah, our women are beautiful. Our women are the, our women are are beautiful. Our women are the are the prized possession, the the crown jewel, essentially all. Right I mean, if you see, yeah, you see. I mean, you see what happened with regard to again. Um, look at Harvey Weinstein's a great example of this, by the way. Harvey Weinstein yeah. uh, wasn't targeting you know predominantly Jewish actresses. He was targeting these white girls that were coming in and hoping to get. You know, their their name on a movie. Now, I guess there were a couple of them that were amongst the mix, but 
Jewish girls it is, but for the most part, it was he was targeting these mostly naive white girls because it was a dominance. It was, it's part of who everybody wants a white woman. Black guys, what's the first thing they do? When they become a sports player and they make millions of dollars, very few of them are marrying black girls. They're marrying white white girls. Now, I think it's disgusting. I think it's absolutely to debase yourself to have sexual relations with a, a black character of any kind, whether you're a male having one of those black females or vice versa, then you've obviously debased yourself. You decide to come out of your race, come out of your species. But that said, you know, when you look at them, you white girls are the ultimate in beauty. And and that is why they are a prized possession. That's one of the reasons why black girls attack white girls so frequently. It's not simply because, I mean, there might be some kind of beef, I guess, whatever it might be they call it, that, that may cr- trigger some kind of response, you know, trigger a savage response. But the reality is there's always going to be a certain recognition of the inherent beauty of white women. Nobody looks at these characters that win, you know, these, these black girls that win these uh, beauty titles and say, boy, that, I mean, that really represents the state of Minnesota, you know, to see right. uh, some, you know, purple skin. Maybe uh, now it does. You're right. It was all Ethiopia <laughs> now, but um, yeah, but I mean, you look at this and it said some, some, you know, purple skinned Nigerian who is now all of a sudden uh, the, the queen of Vikings or what have you, or Iceland or whatnot. I mean, nobody looks at that as beautiful. I mean, not, not nobody looks at that beautiful. And even well, black people look at that as beautiful. Here's another example for you. How, how much has killed a lot of these t- TV shows? The BBC, for example, has gone great lengths to take historical fucking dramas and make sure they're cast of blacks. Now they got Jonah Ark, yeah. black. They're trying to say that Romans were black. Yeah. And then, um, yep. because there for a long time, they had to say that the Egyptians were black. No, they weren't. And and, and not to mention, now they're pushing, oh, no, Cleopatra is black. No, she was Greek, dude. She may have yeah. a slight totally complexion, but she's not black. Yeah, she's totally Greek. Black. I mean, it, it, languages? Even, even the, uh, if you look at so a great example of this, by the way, you look at uh, the Emperor Justinian. Yeah, if you look at release from the Emperor Justinian, the Emperor Justinian is a white guy. Now, the reason why you have the even the darker olive skin that comes into the Middle East and portions of Greece and portions of that, that kind of territory of southeastern Europe is because of the Turkic invasions that occur later on. As you have these yeah. Asiatic invasions that come in, the Muslim hordes that bring in a darker skin tone, a yellow skin tone, that mixes with the white and gives it sort of an olive complexion as such. But you so know, you look at Spain with, uh, with the border invasion by the Moors. That's right. You, they they introduce a different uh, element with regard to these Muslim invasions that has a different genetic element, genetic imprint that gives them a darker complexion. But you know, even you look at Josephus, and the images of Josephus that we know of uh, from release of his era, that Josephus who was a Israelite, who was the commander of the Israelite uh, forces, the commander of the Jewish forces that ultimately surrendered to the Romans and then became a Roman citizen himself, Flavius Josephus. Josephus is depicted as a green-eyed white male um, who has a skin complexion that looks uh, a pinkish or ruddy-skinned uh, individual. Now, this is somebody from you know, Israel in the first century A.D., so you have this, and this is, again, this prior to there's a lot of genetic stuff I can get into with regard to how uh, that changes a lot with regard to the Ashkenazi, how that changes. We were also Turks, by the way, uh, Turkish-speaking tribes. So it also goes into, you know, uh, the, 
the Edomite uh, interaction and whatnot. But all that said, your purebreds from that area, you know, from the Levant, whether in modern day, what would be modern day Syria, modern day Lebanon, areas of Turkey, they were white people. I mean, they, they were white. And that includes Ptolemaic Greeks like, he, like Cleopatra. Egyptians did consider blacks to be inferior. That's how they treated them. They subdued them. They suppressed them. You looked at you. Yeah, you, you, at you look at hieroglyphics. You can see some of the memes. It's like, oh, we was kings. And they show pictures. No, you was dick washers. Yeah, that's exactly where they were. <laughs> that was a great meme. Yeah, it showed them all the servants. Well, it says, oh, we was kings. No, you weren't. You were dick washers. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> Well, Johnny, uh, I don't know true. how long the show is for, for you, brother, but uh, I, I unfortunately have to uh, to run off. I've got a I've got a very early flight tomorrow morning. I'm traveling this weekend. Okay, so, um, I'll definitely I mean, bring I you really on, man. I, I, I definitely have to bring you on again, as well as maybe get you some of my future roundtables because I think you have a lot to offer, and as well as you're you're very well read and, and um, you're and your beliefs. Like I said, it's good to find another man of principle to realize there's more of us out there. Some of us just don't talk about it, you know. But we really need to start rallying people to start speaking up, whether it's coming on as a guest or starting their own podcast or even just doing columns. You need to call in your local terrestrial radio shows and and build a rapport with the producer and the hosts. Like I used to call in 55 KRC lot in Cincinnati and and talk about various topics. Um, So, I mean, I need to get back doing that again, actually. I I miss talking to Brian. But my my main thing is uh, um, we got to get information out there. Anyway, any bit of piece Amen. of information helps because how many, how many people have, have, have influenced us because something they said or they said something over and over and over again. Like Ron Paul kept saying, oh, I, I want to legalize drugs. I'm like, dude, I really want someone being high next to me. Then I understood what he's talking about. If it's legal, most people won't do the drugs because that's part of doing it is, is the thrill of doing something that you're told not to do. So if you if they made heroin legal, he said you'd be surprised how many people would not be shooting heroin. He's got a valid point. Listen, I agree with you. Yeah, see, so every message is amplifying each other. You know, James Edwards, the political cesspool. Um, you know, again, Sonny Thomas show. All this stuff winds up amplifying each other's messages. And for Southern nationalists, especially you know, folks like myself, uh, I want them to turn to as many uh, resources they possibly can. And we all need to stay disciplined with our message. You know, for my message is secession. My message is all about let's break out. The union is not uh, ours. We're not interested in it. Not interested in staying in it. It's time for our people to walk away. Let's walk away peacefully. They'll, if they'll let us, let's walk away peacefully. Um, but and that needs to be amplified. That needs to be every every area where there's a message going out there. And then from that core message, we need to also remind our people that they are worthy of a homeland and not just our people being the Southern nationalists and Southerners, but also that white people have a right to homelands. White people have a right to be proud of their history. White people have a right to be proud of their culture. The idea that whites need to somehow shirk or, or disown the incredible accomplishments of their amazing people. Don't watch that Netflix crap or the BBC crap where, you know, Cleopatra is a, a black female or, you know, you've got these other. That's not for you. You know, you have you have a people. You should be celebrating your people. If they're not going to celebrate your people, don't watch their stuff. Don't don't amplify their message. Amplify the messages of those of us who are constantly promoting the fact that white people have a right to exist. That we are we that is for us. 
that we have a right to exist, and we want to ensure the, perper- the perpetuation of our people, our culture, our you know, our individuals. So when everybody is playing a role in this, and every time there's a message, we should never try to knock each other down. What we really need to do is continue to build each other up, continue to again amplify each other's messages. That's the only way we work. It's the way it's worked historically. Every nationalist movement has started by a cacophony of voices that continue to present the case that those people deserve their own freedom, their own nation state. Uh, but, sir, well, I, you know, I do appreciate you inviting me on here. And I, unfortunately, I, I do have to run. I, I, I'm sorry right, about right. that, but right. I really appreciate it. I'll close with this. Um, that, that being said, let's just have an inspirational quote. What Captain Kirk said to Mira Spock is, in every revolution, there's one man with a vision. And today is the birthday of one of those men. <laughs> there you go. Amen. I mean, that's it. It's, we de- we And that's it. it. It takes one voice. And then once that one voice keeps uh, keeps speaking, let's get more voices to keep speaking as well. But hey, brother, well, you're know, about us, man. I, I thank you so much. Yeah, so soon I'm, I'm going to bring you back on to uh, do a roundtable. We're going to talk about actual solutions for the secession you talk about, as well as my idea of a fifth-state secession. I think the first thing we need to do is really unify our, our states internally, make sure we bring back sovereignty to those states, and start holding the federal government accountable and says, hey, we don't like what you're doing with our fucking money. We're going to put an escrow until you, until you get some sort of acknowledgement that you're doing wrong. And I think we need to start looking at that as, for legal issues. Because I think if we can start assert our state sovereignty again, the federal government can be held in check. If not, the ultimate divorce is a 50-state secession. Because what are they going to do? Invade all 50 states? Huh, good luck with that. <laughs> well, you know, if they if they want to invade anybody, uh, let them go west first. But uh, <laughs> I'm feeling they, they've got their allies out that way. Well, but, um, well what, but again, the Jap- I, what did the Japanese generals say? Why are we not going to invade the, the western coast of the United States? There would be a sniper behind every blade of grass. That's right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our government yep. doesn't see that. Cool. Well, they may someday learn, but <laughs> all right, brother. Oh, hey, again, thank you very much. Have a good night, man. You take care and God bless. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. You too. All right, bye-bye. Okay, so that's Padraig Martin. Again, the book is called The Honorable Cause of Free South. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, also, if you go to thepoliticalaccessible.org, there is an you can also get an autographed copy of the Honorable Cause. Um, a recent Rasmussen poll found that 47% of Republicans now favor a national divorce. There's a growing appetite for serious debate about the issue of secession that wasn't there a decade ago. Our new book, The Honorable Cause, of Free South, furthers that discussion in a responsible way. Throughout the book, we answer questions on our own terms in our own way by detailing how the South can achieve status as a nation state with a right of self-determination for her people. The early reception of this book has been incredible and is making waves far beyond the shores of Dixie. In, in his excellent review, former Croatian diplomat uh, Dr. Tomislav Sunik wrote, quote, this book represents a timely sequel to the prose of early Southern agrarians. It should be read twice, not just by aspiring nationalists in America, but also by a larger academic community in Europe and America. Sasha Rosmuller, a writer for the German magazine Deutsche Stimme, commented, the South is rising again. If a manifesto is needed in order to back up this claim, it has already been written. The honorable cause of free South qualifies as a written work for liberation, 
because it addresses not only the head, but also the heart and the soul. The reader experiences the resurrection of the southern states in a visionary orientation that is not limited to a logistic retrospective. I am posting a special announcement with the hope that you will consider purchasing an autographed copy. The order helps support or supplement KPC's regular quarterly fundraising appeals. Uh, I believe that you will find encouragement, inspiration, and value in this book. Thank you again for providing the support that keeps us on the air. And be sure to tune in each week during April as our annual Confederate History Month series continues. Gil Venditzi. James Edwards. P.S. To order your special autographed copy of Honorable Cause, a free style, please send check and money in order for $49.95 to the Political Accessible Radio Program, P.O. Box 34336, Bartlett, Tennessee, 38184. This total price includes $10 for UPS priority mail postage. Sweet. So, again, these are things that um, we need to look at that particular situation because not only is this a good book, but um, it helps support a great radio program. And they've been on for almost 20 years now. So, again, these are things that we need to push. And I have just started cracking into this book myself and um, looking forward to doing it this weekend since it's supposed to do some raining, uh, so I'm going to be uh, digging into it, especially Padraig's uh, chapter, last said best for last in my view, uh, because of the fact that the whole purpose of this whole thing is secession, and I, I love the way Dr. Hill talks about it, that basically they have stickers from the League of South that says, um, in the occupation of, or in, in the northern occupation of the South or something like that, um, or or, or as we call it, the Civil War, or um, sometimes it's known as the War Between the States. The Southerners often refer to as the War of Northern Aggression. And I would think that is probably the most accurate description of that conflict. And um, it's interesting. When you, when you watch your programs, it's one of those things. History Channel loves showing uh, documentaries as well as the military channel, always documentaries on Hitler and the Nazis and how we defeated them over and over and over and over and over again. But they have to be constantly redefeated on television all the time. It's, you know, was it uh, someone said, reruns lose their fun when you know it's about to happen next, some shit like that. So uh, I think Squeaky from Gorillas figured that, but she's probably quoting somebody. But anyways, it's a valid point because of the simple fact that um, my biggest issue is that we really need to look at this and look at history. How did states start losing a lot of their sovereignty? It was it was fairly quickly, but yet gradual at the same time. They used to have their own currencies. Then that got wiped out with a national currency. Then the Federal Reserve came by and stole the currency. So, I mean, all this stuff happens. We need to start asking some serious questions about what happened and who's responsible. We need to push subgroups like the Dixiecrats. I think the Dixiecrats should probably consider maybe uh, pushing things again. And, and and that being said, as far as whites, you know, we really need to stand up. But there are many blacks that actually do have Confederate roots where their ancestors had fought for the Confederacy because it was their home. They didn't fight because they were told to. They didn't fight because um, they were they were threatened. They fought because they saw an an enemy coming down to cause trouble. And any man 
would step up and say, man, you're not going to come in my neighborhood and start shit, you know? I mean, even look at um, the movie Training Day with Denzel Washington. When they get to that one scene, he pulls in that cul-de-sac. Everybody's looking. I mean, they got it set up like a little fortress, man. People up on the roofs and shit, looking around, armed, like ready to fucking shoot the first guy that comes through there that should be driving through there. Eventually, they they do kick Harris's ass because they see him as a corrupt cop. But like I said, um, that's how we need to start looking at stuff. If people start coming to our neighborhood, man, we need to start looking at them. You know, whenever you drive through the countryside, everybody's looking like, he's driving by, what you doing through here, boy? I mean, seriously, they used to drive me nuts going through Tennessee. I'm like, why does everybody got to pay their fucking business? I'm like, dude, I'm just driving through here. Everybody's got to look see who the fuck it is. Well, some spots on those those backwoods roads, you could hear a car coming for damn near two miles. Oh, yeah. That shit echoes through them little valleys, man. You're like, ooh, there's a car coming. One just coming down. But then I stood up there on top of a hill of a house, and I was like, ah, I see why. People are all looking like, who the fuck is that? Well, nowadays, you should because you don't know. When you watch something like um, Boys in the Hood, you know, when when that one professor or whatever is coming to talk to uh, Ricky about getting into college so he can play ball, um, you know, he's trying to find the address this place in, in in the evening time right and people all looking like oh who's that driving like oh man man there's somebody's driving through here you know if it, was, if it was a straight up nigger they'd be driving through with fucking tinted windows man because they always I, I love how niggas work because they always got they have to be seen in public right bright colors bright shoes make sure they take up all the space and they walk through a shopping mall i mean they gotta be loud everybody's gotta know they're there but when in a car unless they're blasting their fucking music they make sure they got tinted windows so you can't see who the fuck they are, dude. I'm like, really? Wait, first you're going shot because you're sitting at a stoplight? Some people shoot you just because you're wearing that starter jacket, bruh. And you're wondering why you get shot. Because you look ghetto fabulous. Somebody's going to resent that. They're going to take it from you. So, I mean, white folks generally aren't like that, you know? We don't sit there and look at, ooh, nice leather jacket, man. I'm going to take your life so I can we don't think in those terms. Now, white trash do. Some wiggers do. But we don't fucking do that. And, and believe me, I've actually told some, some guys that were wiggers, dude, why are your britches hanging off your ass, man? Why do you look like that? Why do you always wear oversized shirts or wearing jerseys that are three sizes too big, man? Especially if you're a fucking skinny rail, man. See, you look like fucking Oracle on crack. Oh, what the fuck this boost to me? Listen to you, man. You talk like a fucking man. Stop talking like a goddamn jungle bunny, dude. Start talking like a white man. One guy must have resonated because I found him years later, dude. He didn't dress like that anymore. Maybe he got his ass beat by a nigger because he realized that, man, I got to tell fucking you my ass beat. He said, look at like, yeah, homie, you're going to get you put in your place, man. Shit. So, again, um, be proud of who you are. Be proud of your heritage. Like, hey, I, I, I still wear my style of dress since the mid-90s, dude, and I don't give a fuck. If you don't like it, that's your fucking problem. You're just jealous. Hey, Jim Trafkin still wore skinny black tie and he still wore bell bottoms as well as his toupee. That was his look. That was his style. And nobody going to tell him he couldn't wear it. He basically tell you, fuck yourself. Rest in peace, Jim Trafficant. <laughs> All right, then. So, again, go to uh, – I'd recommend going to get the autographed copy from uh Cesspool so that way it helps support that radio program. Also um, – so it's good to have uh, a signed copy from one of the main authors. 
as well as you can get on Amazon, but unfortunately it feeds the machine. So I would also, I'm going to suggest to uh, James that if he has a separate link from the actual publisher to get the book, um, to make it available, because I'd rather get straight from the publisher um, if possible, as opposed to going through Amazon. But the only problem with that is some fuckers may not like this book just because it's written by a bunch of Southerners that like slavery, and we're just going to go and get them canceled. That's one reason why they probably don't put that information out. But like I said, um, James and Keith Alexander do a lot of great work with Public Successful, and I learned a lot from the shit over the years. And I'm proud to uh, feature the program here on the Resolution Radio Network. And uh, I'm going to close tonight with uh, Final War. And uh, this really sums up well. So we open up with Come and Take It from Ted Nugent. Yeah, come and go and try, go ahead and die. <laughs> yeah, final victory or death, man. That's the way it is. Final war, victory or death. Salam Chama, happy birthday, Uncle A.
You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. My brothers, my sisters, I bring you a message of solidarity, a call to action, and a demand for adherence to duty of an Aryan resurgence and ultimately total Aryan victory. We have broken the chains of Jewish thought. We know not the meaning of the word mine, it is ours. Our race, the totality of our people. Ten hearts, one beat. One hundred hearts, one beat. Ten thousand hearts, one beat. We are born to fight and to die and to continue the flow. The flow of our people. Onward we will go, onward to the stars, high above the mud, the mud of yellow, black, and brown. So kinsman, duty calls. The future is now. If months from now you have not yet fully committed yourself to the Alliance, then you have an effect not only betrayed your race, you have betrayed yourself. So stand up like men and drive the enemy into the sea. Stand up like men and swear a sacred oath upon the green graves of our sires that you will reclaim what our forefathers discovered, explored, conquered, settled, built, and died for. Stand up like men and reclaim our soil. Kinsmen, arise. Look toward the stars and proclaim our destiny. Defeat never, victory forever. There are many water filters to choose from, but there is only one system that is consistently customer rated five stars as the number one system for effective filtration of fluoride, radiation, drug residues, heavy metals, a wide range of radioisotopes, and more. Introducing the Pure Effect Ultra, the next generation water filter that also raises alkaline pH, improves antioxidant potential, and has advanced anti-radiation technology, all while using no electricity. Sold worldwide, it provides virtually instant clean water on demand. It is not made in China, and the shipping is free to all 50 states. Buy your Pure Effect Ultra today by visiting pureeffectfilters.com or call 888-891-4821. Again, that's 888-891-4821. Or visit pureeffectfilters.com. The Occidental Quarterly fills a unique niche in bringing together scholarly articles on a wide range of topics that are mired in political correctness elsewhere. It is edited by Professor Kevin McDonald, who's no stranger to listeners of the political cesspool. There are quite a few reasons for the precarious state of our civilization and our people. But one of the main ones is that we have lost the intellectual and moral high ground to a cultural elite that is hostile to our people and our culture. Those of us who are politically aware must understand that the elites dominating culture and the political process in the West are intellectually and morally bankrupt. TOQ is the key. Digital download subscriptions are only $30 a year. Subscriptions by first-class mail are only $60 a year. Go to toqonline.com and click on subscribe now. In addition to receiving fascinating and informative articles, you will also be supporting the work of scholars who are part of a community defending our people and our culture with the highest level of integrity and intellectual sophistication. That's toqonline.com. Subscribe now.
This is a fascinating look at one of the most lied about periods in the history of mankind. In keeping with our motto, free movies, free minds, free speech, I ask that you watch, you decide. A statement made by undergrounddocumentaries.com in 2013. The only untold story of World War II you will ever need to know. You have done a magnificent job. The visual impact that people will experience when they see what you have produced, you've been very impartial in your presentation, and you have allowed the people, the viewers, to make up their own mind. You present the, the evidence and... Anyway, it's an honor to have you on the program. Uh, I want to say that the work that Dennis Wise has undertaken and accomplished and the value of this work cannot be underestimated at this time especially. He has undertaken to present uh, actual information about the most controversial period in human history. We have been given a narrative that has painted a picture, an image for the world to consume. And we have to look at this. The reason this is so important this time for everyone to look at is we have to challenge the lies. Okay, that's one thing right there, just from a moral standpoint. In our time today, it is more than that just a morality. It is a matter of physical survival itself because we have to look at this period and look at exactly what happened, which Dennis Wise has presented to us in his great accomplishment that he has put together there. The, we have to look, look at what happened. Who had power in 1945? It was Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt. And what did they do with this power? As again, illustrated in his great work, Greatest story never told. Yes, if you want to see the dangers that are facing the world today, just watch this film and can see the actual facts, indisputable facts of what really happened at that time. To find out more on this phenomenal documentary series on Adolf Hitler and World War II, go to thegreateststorynevertold.tv.